Welcome to The Theatre, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. The Theatre is an ongoing conversation on surgery and surgical training, featuring practitioners from around the world in discussions ranging from learning and professional development to advances in technology and technique. This episode marks the first of a four-part series on the theme of culture change. The series was created in collaboration with the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and is presented by Ray Liang, General and Breast Surgeon in Gold Coast, Australia, and Simon Fleming, Orthopedic Trainee in London. Episode 1 considers the question, why do we need culture change in surgery, with a particular interest in examining the effects of uncivil behaviours on patient outcomes. Following this podcast, the listeners should be able to evaluate, in terms of both patient care and professional well-being, the impact of discrimination, bullying, and harassment, with a view towards better assessing the state of professional culture in their own working environments. I'm a general and breast surgeon from the Gold Coast of Australia, and I also chair the Operating with Respect Education Committee for the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons. And I'm Simon Fleming. I'm uh, an orthopaedic trainee in London. I'm the vice chair of the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges trainee doctor group. And in my spare time, I do a lot of work with the Hammer It Out and Cut It Out campaigns for culture change in healthcare. Mm. And so today we're here to talk about why we need culture change in surgery. I mean, for me, it, it's um, it's been one of those things that everyone can come up with a different reason about why we need to change culture. Uh, and so I tend to kind of start with the easy wins and then work my way up or down, depending on how you look at it. So I just tend to start with like what we know about the effect these behaviors have on patients because that's that's often a lot of people's you know their why like why should i change everything you know i've i've done this the same way i've been so is my my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss why should i change yeah and the thing is we haven't had the evidence for that until relatively recently um, you know, there was always that saying, oh, you know, terrible bedside manner, but they're a good surgeon. And I think we have to challenge that um, because actually the evidence shows that the competencies that don't relate to your actual technical ability do affect the outcomes for your patients. And so it's not possible to say that you're a good surgeon when you have bad bedside manner. Yeah, that's, you know what, that's really key. I remember being a medical student and being asked, you know, you can either be the best technical surgeon in the hospital or you can be the one that everyone likes and everyone gets on with and the patients love like which which one do you want to be and you would always want to say well can't I be both and someone would always be like no you've got to pick one and and so you would always pick the best technical surgeon right because you'd rather that people hate you but you were quote unquote good at your job and it's Mm. it's only recently like you say right that the the data around behaviors and incivility and all that kind of stuff have shown that actually you can have the most magical hands in the world. But if you look at the long view, um, you are not a good surgeon. If, if you have these behavioral attitudinal issues. So, so that excuse of like, you know, we can't, we can't 
not fire necessarily, but we can't have a really difficult discussion with Dr. So-and-so or Professor So-and-so because, you know, they're a wizard with X or Y or Z. Actually, if you look at the, if you do the long view, you realize that actually, even though it might look like they're a great surgeon, their outcomes probably aren't going to be as good as they could be or as good as they should be because of their behaviors. So we know that in civility, not just experienced directly, but also witnessed, so incivility to others affects team function in a way that stops people from speaking up and therefore uh, increases patient error. Um, And we also know that it decreases um, things like closed-loop communication. You know, people just don't want to speak up. It becomes a clock-in, clock-out job where you just turn up, do what you need to, the minimum you can get away with, and you know, head home again, hoping that you don't get your head ripped off somewhere along the way. Um, And it stifles innovation. You know, people don't want to suggest better ways of doing things or a new way of trying something because they're worried that if it doesn't work out absolutely perfectly, that they will be slaughtered for it. Um, So all of these things mean that incivility and rudeness um, have to be um, addressed to get the best outcomes from surgical teams. Yeah. And I, I guess this is the thing. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I used to, when I used to go around and do the kind of my, my, my shtick, I used to have loads of graphs and loads of PowerPoints and people would kind of roll their eyes. And, and I used to talk a lot about incivility. And, and what you realize is, you know, people, it nearly allows people to, to eye roll because incivility sounds like, you know, you have to bake everyone a cake. And if there's a trauma call, you have to be like, if it's, if it's okay, Rear, if, if it's all right with you, if you wouldn't mind taking some bloods, perhaps, if that if that's something you're comfortable with, you know, please. And actually what what, what we're talking about a lot of the time is, is just about treating people like human beings and treating people with respect and um behave <laughs> behaving in a way that that you know, if you behave like that in your local coffee shop or your restaurant would probably get you kicked out, but yet in healthcare, a lot of the time, we think we can get away with it because, A, it's stuff we've seen, it's stuff we've role modeled. And because, to be fair, up until the last couple of years, no one's ever raised their hands and gone, you know, are these are these behaviors okay? And, and it always makes me laugh because surgeons love to think of themselves as um, quantitative scientists, but actually... You know, medicine's dirty little secret is that it's a social science. And and what we now know is that if you can deal with people in a better way, you get better outcomes. Like literally your patients do better. And and I love the fact that you pick on witnesses as well. Like people who people who observe it, that's a really key thing yeah. because I think that's something that people still struggle to get their head around, right? That if you witness these behaviors, your your performance drops by 20%. Your willingness to help others yeah. drops by 50%. Like, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's culture. You know, culture is, this is the way we do things around here. And it's conveyed by all the little verbal and nonverbal things. You know, as a medical student, when you turn up on a team for the very first time, you know, you know within the first few minutes or hours what your role in the team is, you know, whether you're going to be welcomed and involved or whether you're just expected to stand in the corner and be quiet. Um, And no one kind of says that to you, but you understand it from the way that you're treated in both verbal and nonverbal ways. And so it's not, you know, so that's the culture, you know, we, we can't 
um, there's that saying, um, culture eats policy for breakfast. You know, this is not something we can determine by writing policies or deciding that we're going to have, we can't decide that we're going to have culture change. We actually have to change all our behaviours um, in a day-to-day sense. But the other point I was going to kind of emphasise that you touched on is that when we talk about respectful behaviours, we're not talking about niceness. You know, it's not about being nice and acceding to everyone's requests and being yes. It's about psychological safety. So the, the measure of respect in a team is actually whether you could put your hand up and go, hmm, actually, I disagree. I think we're going about this, you know, um, and not quite the way I would like to. Here's my ideas. And having the safety of being able to disagree. Um, because there is, um, you know, that idea that too much niceness actually causes um, error because it, no one really wants to rock the boat. Um, and so although we've got the stereotype of disrespect as being, you know, some terrible, brash, loud, shouty surgeon who's throwing things, in actual fact, someone who insists on niceness and everyone agreeing can be as disrespectful. What do you think about that, Simon? This is this is why I love this this podcast, right? Because it's it's very much you just frame it more eloquently than I do. So I when I when I talk about this stuff, I, I talk about bullying being about power and about silence. Because there's you know there's a million different definitions of bullying in the in the literature, but they all come down to misuse of power. So if I use my power to tell everyone that they can't challenge anyone or can't speak up if they see something that's wrong it's it's just as bad as if i used my power to say you know uh no women in my operating theater or you know you'll never work in this city because you crossed me i i and to be fair it's it's i i sometimes talk about the um like the bell curve of of the people that we work with right and this isn't surgeons this is um healthcare but also this is human beings and on one end of the bell curve, you've got the villains, right? People who do stuff for power and prestige and privilege. They got into healthcare because they wanted the power of life and death. And they wanted people to stand up when they walked into the room. And they wanted people to call them sir or ma'am, because that's actually why they got into it. And those those people are, are nightmares and really difficult to challenge and really difficult to convince to change what they do and why they do it. But at the other end of the bell curve, you have the angels. And these are the, the people that I speak to and I tell them about issues with workforce and patient safety and the financial cost of these behaviors. And they say, uh, no, no, these behaviors do not exist. I won't allow them. I don't see them. They, they're not a thing. Everyone that I work with uh, is perfectly behaved at all times. Otherwise, I, you know, kick them out the door. And, and it's, it's like there are worse problems to have but actually um they're they're nearly as bad because they they have a fixed mindset that means they can't imagine a world where some of these behaviors that you and i talk about exist and then you've got the rest of you've got the rest of the world right who are in the middle of the bell curve and have good days and bad days and they screw up and they say stupid stuff and you know, they sometimes upset people and sometimes they make mistakes. But on the whole, you know, they're they're hardworking, conscientious people who are unsurprisingly behaving the way they've always behaved because no one's ever suggested doing anything different. And that's that's the kind of 
cornerstone of, of just culture is no one can expect you to do better until you know better. But once you know better, you sort of have to be better. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of, well, I've never seen it or I've never experienced it is, is, a, is a little bit like that sort of, well, I can't possibly be racist. You know, my um, sister's boyfriend's uncle is black or, you know, um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's that sort of, that's the equivalent of that. Um, but that's a good way to start talking about the prevalence data, because, of course, in the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons, what prompted us to act in a very um, broad um, way was the prevalence data. So in 2015, we surveyed all fellows, international medical graduates and trainees, and found that 49% had experienced bullying, discrimination or sexual harassment. 49%, one in every two. So it's you cannot say, you know, well, I haven't experienced it. It's like, well, good on you. You're, you're one of the 51%. But that doesn't mean that we can turn a blind eye to it. There is... You, you know, such a high proportion of people who have experienced it that we must do something about it. And we did. Um, what's the prevalence data in the UK, Simon? So it's it's really interesting, actually. So it very much depends on, if you like, which, <laughs> which survey you want to look at. So um, for example, there's something called the NHS staff survey that goes out every year to everyone in the NHS. And it asks questions around things like bullying, undermining and harassment. So the NHS staff survey every year, pretty much without fail, gets about a 25% bullying rate across everyone that works in the NHS. So if you allow for the fact that the NHS is the fifth largest employer in the world, it's, you know, it's a couple of hundred thousand people. Um, then you look at things like the GMC survey. So the GMC sent out a survey to all of its trainees and... Um, it's not it's not mandatory, but you can often fail your year if you don't do it, which speaks volumes, I guess. Uh, but they get a very high rate of bullying, undermining, and harassment. And interestingly, they they once inserted a question at our request and found that one in twenty admitted to not reporting these behaviours. So we even have evidence that whatever data we have is underreported. And they've even gone on to say that they think that um, underreporting is underreported for the same reason, for those same fears of reprisals or just things not not really changing. But but more specifically, I guess, when we started looking more closely at surgery, we we too in in uh, two thousand and fifteen, the British Orthopaedic Trainee Association did our our census, our first census of our trainees. And we, we gave some definitions around what we thought bullying, undermining, harassment were. Um, we guaranteed anonymity. And we, we asked about, we asked two things, really. We asked, number one, in the last four weeks, have you, have you felt bullied, undermined, or harassed, discriminated against? And number two, in trauma orthopedics, have you ever witnessed? Um, and interestingly, the, the experience data was, was kind of in the 6 to 8% kind of proportion but in terms of witnessing we were seeing in the kind of 30 to 70 percent um which is really really interesting right and it feeds into a lot of the literature around uh not wanting to be perceived as a victim or feel like a victim you know it never happens to me but it happens to other people all the time and then and kind of later on we we branched out and we did a another version of the survey 
working with the Joint Committee of on Surgical Training, the JCST, and with um, ASSIT, so the Association of Surgeons in Training. And um, interestingly there, we had a, a, a much higher rate of bullying, undermining, and harassment, basically. But we asked again about not reporting, and 75% of people we spoke to said, uh, yeah, I've seen it, but I've not reported it. Um, and 70% said, I've experienced it, but have not reported it. Mm. Um, and we even went on to say, look, um, what what about now? And, and this is in 2017, I guess, but 30% said they would still advise their colleagues not to report bullying, undermining and harassment because of their feelings of either you know, reprisals or, or just it not making a difference um, and not wanting to be seen to make a fuss. Um, and so, uh, you know, our data very much mimics the Australian data. It's basically the long and the short of it. And that's, I think, the thing that Operate with respect and yeah. hammered out has shown is, and I don't know if this mimics your experiences, when you go around the, yeah. not just around the world, but from the different specialties and different things is Every country has it. Every branch of healthcare has it, but it all has like its own flavor. So how an intensive care doctor might experience bullying, undermining, and harassment will often sound different to the way, say, a, a, an upper GI surgeon will, but it still comes down to the same basic kind of toxic behavior or culture. Yeah. It's funny, you know, it's, it's a little bit like orange lights. You know, every, everyone knows that when you come up to an orange light, I think in the UK you call it an amber light, you know, you're driving along. Everyone knows, if you ask them, you'll say, what does it mean? They'll say it means you slow down. What do we actually do? We speed up, you know, to try and beat it. Um, <laughs> and it's the same thing with bullying. You know, you'll say to people, you know, should we have bullying and surgery? And every person will say, no, you know, it's bad for surgery. We shouldn't bully, blah, blah, blah. And yet when you do some really um, kind of nuanced qualitative research, um, you know, and there's a fantastic paper from Musselman called, you know, you learn better under the gun, um, which is a classic in this area. The reason it persists is because we attribute positive meaning to it. So people will say, oh, but you know, that's how we teach well, or I'll never forget that, you know, okay, so I was shouted at and everything, but I'll never forget that. Um, or people will justify it for patient safety. You know, well, I was about to stuff up, so it was fair enough that so-and-so shouted or, or, or behaved badly. Um, and I think that's the bind, you know. It's been normalised in surgery and given positive um, meanings for so long that we have to separate it all out. We have to work on multiple fronts to challenge the idea that it's a good way of teaching um, or a good way of ensuring patient safety if we're going to actually get rid of the bullying behaviors themselves yeah you're absolutely right yeah yeah i mean just getting back to your earlier point about you know people not wanting to speak up because it causes so much trouble that is actually what spurred us into action in the royal australasian college of surgeons in 2015 we had a sentinel event in march that year where um a train i remember it well <laughs> Yeah, a trainee had been propositioned by her boss and she had declined um, and she suffered negative repercussion from that um, to the point where a senior colleague in another specialty spoke up and said, you know, for all the trouble it's caused, you know, maybe trainees should just, you know, give, give their bosses what they want when they're sexually harassed. And this caused an absolute uproar, of course. Um, but it was important to us, we didn't know at that point whether this was just a, a lone bad egg 
um, or whether it was a more widespread problem. And of course, when we did the prevalence survey, we realised that it was a more widespread problem. Um, as a woman in surgery, the genderized aspect of it distresses me. So the um, sexual harassment numbers um, approach 30% amongst the female trainees. So one in every three female trainees has experienced sexual harassment, much higher than the rate in men. And, you know, this might be a significant reason why we're not getting gender diversity in surgery. Um, and that's not at all a reflection on their ability as surgeons, obviously. You know, it's just a completely um, unreasonable thing to expect that women coming into surgery should have to put up with behavior like that. Um, so, you know, these are things that we're all going to have to address. They all go hand in hand, um, civility, patient safety, diversity, um, patient error. Um, you know, it, it's all tied in together. And, you know, that's a really strong reason why we just have to get some culture change. I don't know, Ria, I don't know if you have any data, but we know that in the NHS, uh, bullying and harassment cost the taxpayer about £2.3 billion a year. Um and it's just, so when, you know, I, I always say, look, even if you didn't care about your trainees or your colleagues or even really your patients, like even if all you care about is like the bottom line, um, the paper from Klein and Lewis show that it costs about £3 billion a year. So when you're complaining about the fact that, you know, your department can't afford X or Y or Z, literally, if you, if you were just nicer to people, you'd probably have about another £3 billion to play with. Yeah, we don't unfortunately have that data for the Australasian setting, but I do know that the Vanderbilt Group in America has also good data that surgeons who accumulate um, an excess number of complaints compared to their peers cost their organisations more than they earn. Yeah, it's 5% of the workforce create 30% of the complaints and 50% of malpractice or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's quite strong. I mean, obviously, the remuneration setup is slightly different in America from either the UK or Australasia. But you know, it just goes to show that it's not, um, it's not just about patient safety. <laughs> um, although, of course, you know, being good professional people, we shouldn't be primarily driven with the money. But um, nevertheless, we do have some responsibility for using the resources in the health sector responsibly. Um, and so, keeping people who are known to be bullies or harassers or discriminatory. Um, ends up costing the health service and, and one might argue that that's not um, a responsible use of our resources. Thank you for listening. We hope this discussion has been valuable for you in improving your capacity to evaluate the effects of uncivil behaviours, as well as your ability to assess the state of professional culture in your own workplace. Rhea and Simon will return in two weeks' time with the second edition of our four-part series on culture change, where they will discuss national and international efforts to achieve culture change in surgery. The Royal College of Surgeons of England wishes to thank the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons for their participation in this project. For the latest information and updates from the college, please visit our website or follow us on social media.